Welcome to Friendship with God. Today, Tom Cantor will teach us about how God knows what man needs. This message is available for free download at friendshipwithgod.org. Now, here's some highlights from yesterday's message. What two words does the Lord Jesus Christ use to describe life without God? Thirst and hunger. That's the two words that he uses. That's a description of a person without God. That's a description of a life without God. Hunger and thirst. So the inner life comes from a relationship with God. It comes from God. It's the person of God who breathed into Adam, and so that's a picture of relationship, and then all of a sudden he's alive. It's through knowing him that life comes to the soul. It's through knowing him that satisfaction comes in that state of no life. It's solved. Come to him how? As the great creator of Genesis 2. Come to him as the great repairer that we're going to see in Genesis 3. And what's his promise? His promise is, he says, I I promise you, you will never hunger, you'll never experience that anymore. Now here's Tom Cantor with today's message. Now, so Adam had this relationship with God, and that's why the the first few words of the Bible are so important. In the beginning, God. We can make that for a model for our lives. In the beginning, God. In the beginning of my day, God. In the middle of my day, God. In the end of my day, God. God, God, that's the focus. And so when we look at, at Genesis 2, and we see these verses like verse 15 through 17, where he took the man and he put him in the garden to dress and keep it, and then he gave him instructions of what he could eat and what he couldn't eat, Then comes verse 18, where the Lord God says, it's not good that man should be alone and that I'll make him a help meet for him. So he plans this out. And why does he do this? Because God is going to give to Adam a gift, another gift. He's given him many gifts and another gift. And this other gift is going to be Eve, his wife. What were some of the other gifts that God's already given to Adam so far? Life, he gave him life. That's a gift from God. That's certainly a gift from God, right? That's the Holy Spirit. Ever thought about how often the Holy Spirit is spoken of in terms of a gift? John 14, 16 says, we saw it last week, I pray the Father and he will give you another comforter. 1 John 3, 24, it says that, and hereby we know that he abideth in us by the Spirit which he hath given us. 1 John 4, 13, it says, because he hath given us of his Spirit. 1 Thessalonians 4, 8, because he hath given unto us his Holy Spirit. So the life, the Holy Spirit, that's a gift. Okay, what's another one? Work was a gift. It's a gift. It's terrible to not have anything to do. Maybe you think it's great. I don't think it's, I don't. Anyway, it's a great thing to have purpose in life. It's a good thing. What else? The family is a gift from God and his wife, and that's true. And what about the trees and the plants? That was a gift from God, not just for food, but for beauty. God didn't have to make them beautiful. He said, well, all you need is just to eat, so, you know, why waste it? Water. He gave him water, he gave him rivers. There's the naming of these four rivers, four very important rivers, which water which sustains the the plants. Um, The word in Hebrew is that they may drink. The water, that the plants are, get thirsty. 
Trees and plants and animals. He gave them animals to serve them. He gave them a beautiful garden. All these things, gifts, 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 that God gave to Adam. Very important what God did there. Have you ever thought in your life, what has God given to me? You know, with that kind of mentality. Remember when we looked at Luke 16, Luke 16, it says, I'm going to read it to you, 16, 1 through 2. He said also unto his disciple, there was a certain rich man which had a steward. The same was accused unto him that he wasted his goods. And he called him and said unto him, how is it that I hear this of the give an account of thy stewardship? He says those words. Give an account of thy stewardship. That's Luke 16, 2. You know, have you ever thought that we're going to hear that from God? Each one of us is going to hear that from the Lord Jesus Christ. Those very words give an account of your stewardship. So what's a good thing to do? Make a list. Make a list of all the things that God has given to us, all the things that he's given to us, and then what am I going to say about that when i got to give an account? Prepare so that you can give a good account. Well, I thought about that, God. As a matter of fact, funny you should ask that, because, you know, I wrote it down, and I thought about it, right? Because that's a good thing, to understand that what we have, we don't deserve, we don't have a right to, it's a gift that's been given to us, spouses included, and you write down exactly how you're using what God has given you for him. Why? Because it says in 2 Corinthians 5.10, that we have to all, every single one of us, appear before the judgment seat of Christ. We have to all be there. And every one of us may receive the things done in his body, according to what he has done, whether it be good or bad. So all these things were given to Adam as in a stewardship, temporarily. He didn't, temporarily. And he would have to give an account of what he did. Now, so he said, okay, it's not good. So what does it mean it's not good? We already saw, everything, God kept saying everything was good. All of a sudden, something's not good. Well, it's just, what it means when it says it wasn't good that man should dwell alone was it meant that man was not complete yet, right? I mean, couldn't it have been written that way for verse 7? When, after God had made Adam from the dust, couldn't he say, it's not good that man does not have inner life, and so he breathes into him the breath of life, right? And so he keeps working on him. So he says, okay, now we got him formed, and, he's, and so now we're going to give him inner life and breathe into him. He's not complete, doesn't have the inner life. And now he goes on, he says, okay, he's not complete, so I'm going to have to create the woman. And so when you look at that, that's, that's very interesting, because first, man was not complete until man became a temple. That You could call that the importance of the templeship of man. Each one of us sitting in here today, it's important to God that we understand that we are a temple of the Holy Spirit. We have individual templeship before God. So we need to have temples which are clean, that he doesn't have to come and drive out money changers out of. We need to have temples where the Holy Spirit feels at home and is welcome and where we have friendship and fellowship and meeting with God inside of us, the templeship of the believers. That was the first thing. Well, these two words he describes now that says that man, it wasn't good that man should be alone. And he says the two words. What are the two words in verse 18 that are missing? He needs help. That's the word azer, azer, from which we get the word Ezra. 
which was the name of my stepfather. So the word Azer. So this is a very important word. It's an interesting word. It's a root word. And it means in its root to surround, as in protect, surround. I remember when I used to travel overseas, and, and I'd always travel out to London on a Friday, and so I'd get in place and do my work, and David does that way too, and come back the next weekend. So I'd travel out one time, and, and, uh, and I would always give my wife the itinerary hour by hour, where I'm going to be, and she would always write down the, the equivalent times, and then she would be praying for me. And so she, she was helping me, surrounding me with God's protection and prayer. And she was being the azer for me. So on Monday morning, December 12th, 1988, I woke up in London, traveled all the weekend from San Diego to get there, and and I had to get the train down to Victoria Station so I could get the other train down to Cardiff, Wales, to go visit some customers. So I leave the hotel at 7 a.m., and my wife is praying for me. It's 11 p.m. in San Diego when I left the hotel. And I catch this taxi, and immediately we hit heavy traffic. And so what am I doing? I'm starting to sweat. I sweat a lot anyways, but any of this time I was really sweating, and I'm watching my watch here, and I'm saying, oh, no, there's no way I'm going to make it, and I'm really stressed out. And all the while, my wife's praying for me, and so I go running into the train station, and of course I miss the train. So I get the next train. I thought, okay, well, you know, I calculate how late I'm going to be. Well, make things worse, that train pulls out of the station and then just sits there in the middle of nowhere for three solid hours. I finally make my way, you know, down to Cardiff. You know, I don't know, I think the meeting was scheduled for 10, and I think I arrived at 2 or something like that. And immediately when I got there into the company in Cardiff, they said, oh, your wife's on the phone, you know. And so I pick up the phone and... And she's in tears and beside herself. She said, are you all right? And I said, yeah, I'm fine. And she said, well, we've been watching the news. And, and she said, and we've just learned that the third worst train crash happened in London this morning on the train you were supposed to be on at Clapham Junction. That was the 718 to Waterloo. And uh, the signals failed. It was a real cold day. And three chains came together and crashed. And and I was like, oh, so it was even at the company. They had the news going on, and they were lining the bodies up on the white snowy banks, and the blood was showing on the snow as they were lining them up there. It was really dramatic. See, she was an azer to me. She was a help to me. She was surrounding me in prayer, and that's why I missed the train. Praise God. And I'm never going to complain about that or <laughs> stress out. But you see, so God says, I have to make a person here that's going to help his backside, that's going to help him, that's going to surround him, that's going to protect him, that's going to be where he's not going to be all the time. And that's what I'm going to make, and that's going to be the word help. That's azer. And then the other word, meet for him, is the word nagad. And so that's another Hebrew word, and it means in front of, or as an opposite to, as you said, or as a counterpart to, or a to. In other words, it has several, it has, it does have that connotation, by the way, uh, that word does have the connotation that men are from Mars and Venus are from, women are from Venus. It does have that idea. It also does have the idea, I think it does, in verse 20, like I told you before, verse 20 could be read, there was not a founder person to argue with Adam. 
And so it has that, <laughs> it kind of has that idea a little bit. It's not far from it, but it's the, it's the idea that your helper will bring to the table certain things that you lack, a different perspective. It'll be like a, a different part of the puzzle piece that will come together with you and then it'll be complete. She's exactly what you need. In other words, this, this, this word connotates as prescribed by God, your missing parts will come together like that. That's why the verse in um, Matthew 19.6, turn if you would please to that. Here, it says here in Matthew 19.6, speaking about marriage, actually issue has come up about divorce. In verse 3, the Pharisees also came unto him, tempting him and saying to him, is it lawful for a man to put away or divorce his wife for any, every cause, anything? And he answered and said unto them, have you not read that he which made them at the beginning made them, created them, formed them, male and female? So it's the idea here that this is God's realm, the marriage is marriage. And the union of a man and woman is God's realm, and he made them different, male and female. That's the idea there. Then he says, uh, and for this cause shall a man leave his mother and cleave to his wife. They too shall be one flesh. Wherefore, they're no more twain, but one flesh. What therefore God has joined together, let not man put asunder. See? So first what we notice here is that what we see when we look at a verse like this is that we understand that this was a created, this was an institution that is from God, marriage, that it was, that God created the two individuals different, and it's very personal. He's not calling, when he's addressing man here in Genesis 2, he's not calling him Ish, he's not calling him man, he's calling him Adam, Adam, his personal name. He's brought together this person with this person. And so it's what God has joined together. It's like Pastor Jim always used to say. He said, Pastor Jim says, God knows which lid fits which pot. Isn't that good? (laughs) He knows which lid fits which pot. But so so God is in this business of joining together. And who is identified as the one who is trying to tear it apart? Man. What God has joined together, let not man break it apart. Today, Tom, you talked about a man needing to be a temple of God. Can you elaborate a little bit more on this? I mean, what does it really mean for a man to be a temple of God? Well, basically, what that means is that man needs God. And the description of man uh, being a temple of God, in other words, having God's presence, is really given to us in Psalm 1. The whole psalm. It says, it describes this man. He says, blessed is the man that walks not in the counsel of the ungodly, nor stands in the way of sinners, nor sits in the seat of the scornful. So it starts off by talking about what this, what man does not do as the temple of God. He doesn't take counsel from those who don't love God. He doesn't stand in the way of those who are sinning against God. He doesn't sit and find his recreation and his enjoyment sitting in the seat of the scornful against God. But, it says in verse 2, his delight is in the law of the Lord, and is his law does he meditate day and night. And then it describes him in verse 3. He'll be like a tree planted by the rivers of water that brings forth his fruit in his season. His leaf also shall not wither, and whatsoever he doeth shall prosper. Why is that true? Because God is with him. God is in him. He is a temple of God. But by contrast, in verse 4, the ungodly are not so, but are like the chaff which the wind driveth away. 
Therefore, the ungodly shall not stand in judgment, nor sinners in the congregation of the righteous. The Lord knoweth the way of the righteous, but the way of the ungodly shall perish. Man needs God. To have God is to say no to the world, no to the counsel of the ungodly, no to the way of the sinners, no to the seat of the scornful. It's to say yes to the law of God and make it your delight. It's to say, yes, I'll meditate in a day and night. It's to depend on God and it's to experience God's blessing. And then what happens is that that establishes the person in God and he will will be like a tree planted by the rivers of water. That's what it means to be a temple of God. It's to need God. It's to have God inside of you. It's to make God feel happy and at home in you because you've made God's word to be on the highest pedestal there in the home. Now, Tom, you also talked about God joining two people together in marriage and that there's that outside pressure for that to be broken. And really, it goes along with what the Lord said, which was, let no man put asunder. That outside pressure can come from the world or even within the relationship. But what can believers do to strengthen their marriage? There's so much assault on marriages today. There's so much, there's so much pounding on marriages today. It's a wonder that people stay together at all. And God has really wants us when he, it, to stay together in marriages. And so the question is, how can we as believers do that? You know, Malachi 2, 14 through 16 gives us great, great help. It says, yet ye say, wherefore, because the Lord hath been witness between thee and the wife of thy youth, against whom dealt treacherously, yet is she thy companion and the wife of thy covenant, and did not he make one Yet had he residue of the spirit, wherefore one, that he might seek a godly seed. Therefore take heed to your spirit, and let none deal treacherously against the wife of his youth. For the Lord, the God of Israel, saith that he hateth putting away. For one covereth violence with his garment, saith the Lord of hosts. Therefore take heed to to your spirit, that ye deal not treacherously. All right, let's break down what is God saying here. First of all, God makes it very clear. He hates divorce. Don't go to God if, you th- if you're going to come by saying, God, don't you think I should get divorced? You will not find a welcome with him. He says he hates divorce. So what's that mean if he hates divorce? That means that he loves to try to work it out. He loves the staying together. And God puts, God speaks, first of all, not to the couples together, but to the individual believers. And he says, did not he make one? First of all, each believer needs to hear from God. I have been made one with my mate by God. If God has made me and my mate one, then I need to respect the work of God and to help build up the work of God because God's not interested in the reasons why I think I should separate from the one that he's made me one with. So the first thing is to realize in verse 15 is that did not he make one? God did this work. My job is to get in line with what God did. And he says, he says, the Lord has been witness between thee and the wife of thy youth. Remember, 
how in love with you were with your wife, men, when you were first married, when she was the wife of thy youth. Return back to that. Return back to that. Why? Because that's the picture that God has. You know, people have pictures on their walls of couples, you know. Well, they don't have the pictures on the walls when they're hating each other and pulling each other's hair and throwing irons at each other. They have the picture when they're just married. And that's the picture that God has on his wall of your marriage. He says, and he calls that you were young. It was the wife of your youth. Go back to those days. Remember how you loved her. Rekindle the love that you had at that time. And then God says, as for the way you're dealing with her right now, he says, you are treacherous against whom thou hast been, thou hast dealt treacherously. You double-crossed her. You, you, You were not honest with her. You were treacherous with her. Confess it to God. Deal with it. And, 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 and when you feel that treacherous spirit coming up with you, God says, take heed to your spirit. Let none deal treacherously against the wife of, of his youth. He says, he says it again in verse 15 and 16. Therefore, take heed to your spirit that you deal not treacherously. You know, we all go through these times when the... F- with the flash of the eye and the flare-up of the heart. And, oh, we got to get it off our chest, and that felt good. And what did we just do? We dealt treacherously. We said words that we can't retract. We, we gave a word. We gave a look. We gave a tone of voice. And God said, it's all treacherous. Don't do it. He says, take heed to your spirit. Put a guard at that gate before that gets out. And that guards his charge. So when you deal with, when you see that treacherous, that treacherous flash of the eyes, that treacherous tone of your voice, those treacherous words, that treacherous look, he says, that's the time for the guard at the gate to bring and arrest that. And you, that's a time for you to turn alone and have a little talk with Jesus, a little talk with Jesus to make it right, all right. A little talk with Jesus to put to death the works of the flesh, which are that treacherous spirit, that hatred, that enmity, that vengeance, that remembering what she did to me. I'll get even. Oh, I've got some great words cooked up. Put it to death. And when you put it to death, you imagine that you've put it in the prison. And then you see yourself going and taking that, 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 that personified, treacherous words and, 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 and handcuffed, marching it out to the firing stand and tying it up to the post and putting the cape over its head. And then you walk back and you walk back and grab the rifle and you say to yourself, ready, aim, fire! And as you do that, you put to death those words that you were going to speak to your wife. That look, those flash of eyes. And you, that's what God means when he says, crucify the works of the flesh. Put to death the works of the flesh. Don't deal treacherously with the wife of your youth. Remember her always as the wife of your youth. Respect her. Respect her because she is, above all, a daughter of God. And so she may be your wife, but she's also the daughter of God. And how you treat her, you will have to answer to her father, God. 
And so be very, very careful about how you treat God's daughter. And so you respect her. Now, I'm speaking about things that you're doing alone, that you're not doing as a couple with her, but you're really getting your own heart right. And she may not have the similar type of, of attitude. She may, she, you may find in her the flash of the eye, the look of that, that spiteful tone, those words, those hurtful words. That's okay. You take that because you've gotten right with your God. You realize that God has made you one together with her, and that's your marching orders. You don't say, well, when she repents, I'll repent. You don't say that. You don't say, well, when she gets right, I'll get right. You don't say that. You don't say, well, when she's nice, I'll be nice. You don't say that. What you say is that God made us one, and my job is to help this marriage become one. You say, I am abandoning treacherous spirits. Because God says, take heed to your spirit that you deal not treacherously with the wife of thy youth, of thy covenant that you made a promise to. Friend, if your heart is broken for the Jewish people and you want to see them have marriages in the Lord Jesus Christ, you want to see them also be temples of the Lord Jesus Christ, and you know that how can a person have a good marriage without the Lord Jesus Christ? You want to bring the gospel to the Jewish people of Southern California, San Diego, Riverside, Orange County, Los Angeles. You want to join us in our work of bringing the gospel door to door to the Jewish people. We have a job for you. We have a full-time paid job for you. Please call us at 1-800-247-3051. That's 1-800-247-3051. Thank you for joining us today. And as you heard Tom Cantor speak about, Israel Restoration Ministries is looking for full-time couriers to take the gospel to the Jewish people in Southern California. If you're interested in going door-to-door to reach lost Jewish people, please contact us today at 1-800-247-3051. Once again, that's 1-800-247-3051. If you'd like any Tom Cantor resources, materials, books, or videos, call us as well at 1-800-247-3051 or go to israelrestoration.org or friendshipwithgod.org. Thanks for listening today and join us again tomorrow at this same time.